Well, today we are delighted to hear the word of God proclaimed and preached by our summer ministerial intern, Angela Nanquil. Angela has been attending Rosewood for about two years, and she is currently in attending Bible College at Tyndale. She also helps with Campus Church that is hosted at the University of Toronto, and she loves the Lord and his word. And so please give a warm welcome to Angela. Let me just get this out of the way. All right, well, good morning, Rosewood Church family. I am very excited to bring my first sermon here at Rosewood Church. Now, as many of you heard in my introduction, I am part of a ministry called Campus Church, so it's not my first time preaching, but figuring out what to preach on and how to preach to my lovely and wise Rosewood Church family was a completely different experience. Because many of you have been following Jesus longer than I have been alive. And so as I was preparing, I was wondering, what could I possibly preach on that they don't already know? And so I put all this pressure on myself to come up with some profound message that you have never heard before. But, the, but then the Lord stopped me, and he reminded me of this simple truth. We are all broken people. You see, no matter how long we have been following Jesus, or whether or not we're a follower of Jesus, we are all broken people. It doesn't matter how many sermons we have listened to, how many scriptures we have memorized, or how many Bible studies we have attended, we are all broken people. And so that's what God did. He sent his son Jesus into the world to heal my brokenness and your brokenness. So today, if you are grateful that Jesus came to heal your brokenness, can I get an amen? Amen. amen. You see, even though many of us just said amen and agreed that we are broken and hurting people, we tend to hide that from our brothers and sisters in Christ. We put on an emotional mask and we hide how we truly feel, our struggles, our worries, our doubts, or our depression. Or if it's your first time in church, you hide the brokenness of your past because you were afraid that the church might reject you. You see, we've all put this mask on before, and it usually happens right after church, when someone says, oh, how are you? And you say, I'm fine, just tired. But the truth is, and I'm sure you know this, we are not always fine. The truth is, right before you walk through these church doors, you got into another fight with one of your family members. The truth is, last week you may have received a diagnosis that's giving you deep sadness. The truth is, possibly last night you sat at your dinner table wondering how on earth are we going to pay all these bills. The truth is, you came in here today with a broken heart, grieving an ended relationship. The truth is, one of our loved ones is sick and it feels like time is running out. The truth is, we are not sure what the future holds. And the truth is, we are not 
always fine. Well, church family, if you came in here today feeling not fine, I want you to know that God sees you, he cares about your sadness, and he wants to talk to you today about dealing with despair. The title of my message today is, I'm Not Fine. And it's my hope that through the prophet Elijah and his story, we learn how to deal with our despair together. Are we ready? All right, let's go. The story of Elijah can be found in 1 Kings, and I'll be summarizing from chapter 16 to 18. Elijah was a prophet during the reign of King Ahab. But King Ahab was a sinful and evil king described in chapter 16 of 1 Kings as a man who did more evil in the eyes of God than the kings that came before him. Now the reason he was an evil king was because he worshipped a pagan god named Baal. And because he was king, he had many of the Israelites turn away from serving God and bowing down to Baal instead. Now on top of that, King Ahab married a non-Israelite woman named Jezebel. Many of you probably know the name Jezebel in culture, but particular to this story, Jezebel was also an evil woman, also worshiping Baal, but she was also killing God's prophets. So in order to protect God's prophets, in 1 Kings chapter 18, we meet a man named Obadiah, and Obadiah hid 100 of God's prophets in a cave to protect them from Jezebel. But Elijah was not hidden. In fact, God told Elijah to do the exact opposite. So God told Elijah, go before King Ahab and challenge him. And so that's what he did. Elijah went to King Ahab and said, Ahab, if you believe that Baal is the one true God, then prove it. We are both going to cut up wood and then we're going to cut up a bull and lay it on the altar. Then our prophets are going to call on our God, and whichever God answers by fire is the one true God. And I'm sure you already know how the story ends. Baal failed to set his altar on fire, but our God did not fail. In fact, our God set fire to the bull, and then to the wood around it, and then to all the surroundings. And this was a large display of God's power and glory. And so Elijah, having won the challenge, killed Baal's prophets. But this victory was short-lived because Jezebel, when she found out that Elijah had been killing Baal's prophets, she then threatened to kill him too. So then Elijah became afraid. He ran away into the wilderness and asked God to take away his life. Elijah was afraid, isolated, felt hopeless, and in despair. And that's where we pick up our reading in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 3 to 18, 3 to 9. Feel free to read along with me on the screen. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He came to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. When he came to a broom bush, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, 
and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. What we see in this passage was that Elijah was afraid and desired to end his life, so he left his servant and ran into the wilderness and begged God to take away his life. But God did not respond with words. Instead, God allowed Elijah to rest, and then he sent an angel twice to strengthen his body. And so my first point today is this. Restore your exhausted body. When you are dealing with despair, restore your exhausted body. And I know that's quite a simple truth, actually, but usually it's not on our priority list. Because when our lives feel like they are falling apart, we use the rest of our energy that we have to try and find a solution. But this passage shows us that we can rest and take care of our bodies. Another obstacle, though, is that some of us have a hard time resting. We feel like rest is unproductive. We feel like if we are not mentally or physically working towards solving our problems, then we must be wasting time. But have you considered that rest is sacred? You see, when we are going through a hard season, the toll is not only on our minds, but our bodies as well. And our bodies are not machines, but they are temples of the Holy Spirit. And so when we decide to rest, we consider it taking care of this temple of the Holy Spirit. See, I had to remind myself of this simple truth a few weeks ago. I woke up late for work. I knew I had a meeting. So I ran downstairs, tried to make my coffee, tried to make my smoothie, tried to do the dishes, and tried to have my devotional time with the Lord all in 30 minutes. And so I was frantic. But then the Lord stopped me in the middle of it and said, just stop. It's okay. And when I heard the Lord say that, I closed my eyes and I felt how exhausted my body actually was. And so I took a seat. But then when I sat down, I felt guilty. So I thought, okay, the holy thing to do right now is to read a psalm over my life. And God said, it's okay, just stop. You can rest. And so my question for you today, church family, is do you need to allow yourself sacred rest. Perhaps your mind has been running tirelessly, going in circles about fears that you have over the future. Or maybe you have been carrying a weight so heavy for so long and you feel like you might finally just give up. 
Or maybe you have been trying so hard to discern God's voice through all the chaos, chaos and through all the confusion. And all he is actually saying is just rest. It's okay. Church family, if you are going through despair today, take some rest. And then take the time to strengthen your body. We read about this in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 8, which says, So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. So what we see is that sleeping, eating, and drinking is not a way of neglecting our situation, but it is a way of strengthening our body and giving ourselves the energy that we need for the journey ahead. So once Elijah had enough strength to go to Mount Horeb, God said something to him. And let's read about that in 1 Kings 19, verse 9 to 10. It says, And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Mount Horeb might sound like an unusual place, but most scholars believe that this is actually the same mountain as Mount Sinai. And so Mount Sinai was not a random location, but Mount Sinai is where Moses received the covenant. And so Elijah went there, and he must have known that this was a place that he could experience God's presence and God's power. And so once he got there, the Lord asks him a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? How many of you know that when the Lord asks us a question, he already knows the answer? He's actually asking us to look within and to reflect. He knows our ways and he knows our thoughts. And he knew Elijah's ways and Elijah's thoughts as well. So then why did God ask Elijah this question? Well, God tenderly invited him into sharing his burdens, his fears, and his worries with his heavenly Father. And so my second point is this. Respond to God's invitation to share your burdens with him. We serve a God who actually cares about his children and wants to hear how you're doing. The thing is, it's kind of hard to respond to God's invitation sometimes. Perhaps we don't want him to know that we're doubting him. Or maybe we're scared that we're going to disappoint God that we are not having a great day. Or maybe we don't want to admit to ourselves that we are unhappy. But the fact is, God already knows that we're unhappy. And God already knows that we're doubting him. God already knows that we are disappointed with our life's circumstances. God already knows, and God cares. God has compassion over our emotions and our raw thoughts. So do not be afraid to share with God how you actually feel. 
He invites us, and he is a loving father who opens his arms wide and invites his children to come, lament, and cry out, and tell him all of our worries. If you are feeling despair today, do not hesitate to respond to the invitation to share your burdens with the Lord. So this is what Elijah did. Once the Lord asked him, Elijah said, I'm feeling hopeless, I'm feeling afraid, there is no hope for Israel anymore, everyone has turned from you. And so let's look at God's response. We read about this in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11, which says, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. In God's response, does God condemn Elijah for being afraid? Does God tell Elijah, go back, you mighty warrior. I have declared victory. Does God tell Elijah, stand up and declare the darkness to flee? No. God doesn't say any of that. Instead, God says this, get in my presence. You see, God didn't necessarily respond to Elijah's situation, but he responded to the spiritual state of Elijah. He saw that Elijah was weary and tired, and so he knew that what Elijah's soul needed was to be in the presence of the Lord. You see, this passage is interesting to me because God and Elijah were already talking. But what we see is that God says to Elijah, get in my presence. So what this tells us is that there's a difference between talking to God and just being in his presence. And there's a time for both. But church family, when you are in despair, refresh your soul with the Lord's presence. And that is my third point. We read about this as well in Jeremiah 31, verse 25, which says, For I will satisfy the weary soul, and every languishing soul I will replenish. So my question for you today is, is your soul weary? Do you need to become more aware of the presence of the Lord? Perhaps the Lord is saying to you, I know life is hard right now, so get in my presence. I know you have more questions than answers right now, so get in my presence. I know the enemy is trying to kill you right now, but before I respond to that situation, get in my presence. Because how many of you know that when you get in God's presence, something changes? Our situations might not change, but something within us changes. Because in God's presence, there is peace. In God's presence, there is unexplainable joy. In God's presence, there is clarity. In God's presence, the Father's arms are wrapped around us, ready to comfort us. In God's presence, we can't help but turn our eyes towards him and praise him. In God's presence, 
our souls are, are refreshed. Even if our situations might not change immediately, our souls need to be in connection with our Creator. The thing is, God's presence might come, might come in an unexpected way. And so we have to be aware. Sometimes it's through a friend. Many of you actually came up to me before church and said the Spirit told me to pray for you. Or maybe it's through a meal that your neighbor gave you. Keep an eye out for God's presence and be aware. We read about this in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 to 13. It says, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle <coughs> whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. We see that winds came by, but Elijah knew the Lord's presence was not in it. So he stood still and waited. And then an earthquake came by, but the Lord was not in it, so Elijah stood still and waited again. And then a fire came, the same thing happened. Elijah had to stay still and wait until he experienced the gentle whisper of God. Now, why did God make Elijah wait through all of that? Because Elijah needs to remind himself to be still and know that God is good. You see, God, Elijah already knew that God could answer by fire. Elijah already knew that God could bring rain to a drought. Elijah already knew that God could work in these marvelous ways. But in this moment, his soul needed to know that God is good. And so the gentle whisper came to Elijah and ministered to his weary soul. Church family, if you are feeling despair today, become aware of the Lord's presence. Allow the noise, the thoughts, the people, the thoughts of people in your head to die down and be still in his presence and know that he is good. Once Elijah encountered the gentle, sweet presence of the Lord, the Lord asks him another question. And we read about this in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 13 to 18, which says, Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back 
Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So after Elijah had experienced the gentle whisper of God, God asks him the exact same question, and Elijah gives him the exact same response. He tells God again that the Israelites have turned away. He tells God again that he is the only prophet left, and he tells him again that they are trying to kill him. But the truth is, Elijah wasn't right. What Elijah believed to be true was not actually true. Because he was not the only prophet left, God just told him, Elisha is there, and he's going to succeed you. And he also thought he was the only one who hasn't turned away from God, but then God just said there are 7,000 others who have not bowed down to Baal. And so what we see is that Elijah was limited in his knowledge because he is human. And his fear consumed his mind so much that he made the problem so much bigger than it actually was. And so God lovingly corrected him. God told him the truth. And God's truth is unlimited. It is not confined by time because God already knows how the story is going to end. God has a completely different perspective than us. So what we can learn from this passage is that God's truth can encourage us to go back and face our situation with a new perspective. And so that is my fourth point. Renew your mind with God's truth. The first truth that God expresses to Elijah is this. God is in control. We read about this in verse 15. It says, when you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Not king over Israel, anoint the king over Aram. God is showing Elijah that he has power outside of the nation of Israel. And in fact, God has power over what happens inside this world and in the universe. And so God is reminding Elijah, do not despair. I am in control, and I can orchestrate things that you did not even know were possible. And so today, do we need to remind ourselves that God is in control? Perhaps a loved one has betrayed you, and you need to renew your mind with the truth that God is in control and that he can take their evil actions against you to use it for his good. 
Or maybe you look at your broken family unit, but you remind yourself that God is in control and that he can redeem all that has been broken. The second truth that God shares with Elijah is this. The future is in God's hands. We read about this in verse 16, which says, Anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. See, Elijah told God two times that there are no other prophets left. And what God says is this, I already have a plan in place, Elijah. I already have anointed Elisha to succeed you. So do not worry. The future is in God's hands. And perhaps we need to remind ourselves of that truth too. To renew our mind that the future is in God's hands. Because perhaps there's a promise over your life that hasn't come to pass yet. And you need to remind yourself that in God's perfect timing, it will come to pass. Or maybe you look at yourself and you wonder, how can I ever be a beloved child of God? My past is too messy. But God says the future is in my hands and I can take your brokenness and use it for my glory. Church family, be reminded and encouraged that the future is in God's hands. And the last truth that God shares with Elijah is this. You are not alone. Elijah told God twice that he is alone. And while Elijah saw himself as alone, God said, I see 7,000 others right there with you. See, when we are feeling despair, it can feel like we are all alone. And it can feel like there could be no one else on this earth who could possibly understand what we are going through. But renew your mind with God's truth that you are not alone. Recognize that you have friends and family that love you. Take a look around and see your church family ready to pray for you and serve you when you need it. And most importantly, God is with you. The Bible says that there is nowhere we can truly go and flee from his presence because his spirit is everywhere so take heart and be encouraged that you are not alone. Church family, today, if you feel alone, renew your mind with God's truth that you are not. If you feel like there is only chaos ahead of you, remind yourself that God is in control. And when you have anxiety over the future, remind yourself that the future is in God's hands. And so if you are feeling despair today, renew your mind with God's truth because his perspective can encourage us to go back and face our situation. 
as I wrap up and I call the worship team back up. Church family, if you came in here today feeling less than fine, that's okay. But do not despair because you are not alone. You are in good company. The Lord is with you. And the Bible gives us these four truths to reflect on. The first one is restore your exhausted body. Perhaps after service, you're going to go home and take a nap. <laughs> if you need it, though, I mean. <laughs> the second one is respond to God's invitation to share your burdens with him. He already knows what you're going through, but the Bible says to cast your cares unto him. So why don't you go and do that to our loving Heavenly Father? The third is refresh your soul with the Lord's presence. Be still. Be aware of his spirit ministering to you. And the last is this. Renew your mind with God's truth so that you know how to go ahead and face the situation. Out of all the truths I said today and all the truths that we can find in the Bible, the greatest truth is this, that God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on a cross and to rise again for my brokenness and your brokenness. Without God, there is no possible way that we can be in relationship with God because our sin separates us from a pure, perfect, and holy God. But praise God that he sent his son Jesus to bridge that gap. And so today, if you do not have a relationship with God and perhaps you are tired of dealing with brokenness all by yourself, I want you to know that the one true God desires a relationship with you. And he wants to step into your life and heal your brokenness. If that is a desire of your heart today, I invite you to the altar to pray to God. Invite him into your life. Tell him that you believe in his son, Jesus Christ, and that his son died and rose again for your sins. And go ahead and ask God for forgiveness of your sins. Or perhaps if you are a follower of Jesus today, but you're not feeling too well, I also invite you to the altar. Perhaps you just need to rest in his presence. Or maybe you need to share your burdens with him as you are at the front and respond to his invitation to cast your cares. Maybe you need to refresh your soul with the Lord's presence, or maybe you just need to renew your mind with God's truth. Whatever it is, church family, do not despair. You are not alone. The altar is open as the worship team leads us in this final song. So you may stand as we sing. <laughs>